right, Sarah, what's the latest in awkward non-monogamy news? None, none this week, actually. Everything was super smooth, chill. I feel like I handled all my non-monogamy situations, like, really well. Except... Uh-huh. Um, all right, so Alex and I tried something new this week uh, where we went out on a date with somebody, like, the three of us were all on a date and it was like a pretty chill scene like a fellow parent so of course it was like 3 30 like pick up like happy hour yeah because <laughs> it, it like, was has an to embarrassing be t- dinner reservation at it was at 4 30 it was 4 30 to be fair but. but it's like everybody had pickup at six or whatever uh-huh. uh, well in fact we were supposed to have pickup covered yeah right because- we were gonna live it up and be out until 7 p.m that's right uh, and our friend was supposed to pick up our kids from daycare mm-hmm. uh and we had a great old time on the date and i didn't look at my phone for like a full 90 minutes mm-hmm. uh, let this be a lesson to you always look at your phone constantly i guess it's <laughs> actually sad that that's the conclusion of this um yeah and so we were having a good time and eating some fries and having some drinks and kind of it was already awkward sort of i mean it was a really fun date and it was like uh, fun in its awkwardness i would say like yeah. we were all like this is awkward none of the three of us have ever been on a date as three people before yeah. what are we even doing yeah and it was, so it was like fun for that i also really liked that there was a wait staff trainee trainee so there were like two waiters there as well and i was like did they just are they just training this person to wait on a thruple yeah is that like what's going on in new seattle yeah they're like now that you're a server in seattle you're gonna have to learn how, yeah. how to handle your thruples non-monogamous organized relationships here's the etiquette the number one rule is don't make eye contact never make eye contact <laughs> and when the check comes just throw it up in the air mm. and run away. Yeah. Uh, and it was, uh, when the check came, it was actually quite awkward because I looked at my phone and um, there was like a bunch of missed calls and a thread of texts uh, from our friend who said that he was not going to be able to pick the kids up after all because... This uh, was five minutes before the daycare closes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he was stuck in traffic because of the president's visit to Seattle. Thanks, um, Biden. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we'll we'll save that for our other podcast where we just trash Joe Biden. Just kidding. Um, and so we just had to like rush out and just be like, oh, we got to go. And it was, I guess she was buying it. It seemed like it was true, right? Like it didn't seem like we were just making the whole thing up. To, that like, would have been incredible it. acting. Like yeah, you and I, we were like popped up out of our seats. Yeah. It's like our chairs flew back. We were like, mm-hmm. oh, no. And yeah. just frantically being like, who had one drink? Who had two drinks? Uh-huh. Who can drive? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. It was, We had to like run to the kitchen and cancel an order of like halibut or something. It was truly the least sexy moment possibly of my entire life. <laughs> mm, yeah. And so we just ditched them with the check uh, and ditched our date and uh, jumped into our car. No, we actually Venmoed them later. Um, and for, they were, they were also a parent. Share. So I feel like that was important because they were like, I get it. I'm a parent. I know this stuff happens. Go. I've yeah. got this. Yeah. It was, they were very graceful about it, the person yeah. we were dating. And I, I do think we will get a chance to try it again. And then on the way over to pick the kids up, there was a massive hailstorm, too, just kind of adding to the drama of mm-hmm. all of it. And it was like the gods were angry from our whatever immorality or whatever it is. Um, uh, that's the way I read it. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. It felt like I was judged by the weather patterns. Pretty um, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so welcome to Mistakes Were Made. A podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. Yeah, 
I'm Sarah, a queer therapist, writer, journalist, parent. And I'm her husband, Alex, a communication professional and educator. Um, and Sarah, why did we start the show? Oh, uh, we started the show because when we opened up our marriage of 15 years, we opened up two years ago, we were like, whoa, we are making a ton of mistakes. <laughs> How do you do this? What's even going on? And we were super hungry for any kind of information that we could find by people in kind of similar situations, lessons that we could learn from them, company, just people being like, yeah, this is wild. And that's all part of it. So I think that's that's why. That's why we started it. Yeah. So we're trying to give, uh, kind of trying to give advice, but uh, really... (laughs) Giving you got advice on what not to do. Um, <laughs> hopefully, make you laugh and uh, vent about our um, struggles, and also about the great things about non-monogamy as well. Um, and uh, all of that is just about uh, us learning from our mistakes and hopefully helping other people um, learn from, from our mistakes as well. Yeah. So today uh, we're talking about uh, the challenges uh, and joys, perhaps of non-monogamy as parents and um, how it impacts kids. Yeah. What about the children? Yeah. But what about the children? Think of the children. Think that of is, the children. We often talk on the show about uh, the most common questions that we get uh, when we tell people that we're not non-monogamous or when people like feel like they can really like pin us down to ask the questions um, that have been uh uh, coming up for them. Um, and you know what they're picturing when they say that? They're picturing you and I on a date with someone else while the kids are in a hailstorm, daycare closed, just <laughs> sobbing. Yeah. Like, where are my parents? <laughs> that's, that's exactly terrible. what they're imagining. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was imagining when we were driving to get the kids to. I feel like the audience should know that we made it up to everyone by ordering an obscene amount of Domino's pizza, and we even like sprang for the cheesy bread and the volcano cakes and soda. So in the end, it was all okay. Yeah, pizza can really... By forgiveness. For so the kids are children. fine. Yeah. No, they were fine. We were five minutes late. They were fine. And it turned out that a bunch of other parents were late, too, because of the Biden right. yes. mashup. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, oftentimes one of the big questions and things that come to people's mind, and I remember being asked this question, like, the first time I told one of my good friends about um, us trying out non-monogamy, they were just like, what about the kids? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's why we're one of the reasons we're talking about this today. Um, and I want to come back to more of, like, what's what's behind that question a little bit later. Uh, but right now, um, it would be great f- to talk a little bit about like what has that meant for us, right? What has it been like um, being non-monogamous, having other relationships um, outside of our marriage while also raising two small children? We have kids who right now are four years old and six years old. Um, and it does kind of, um, it's a thing. It's, oh, it's, a, a thing. it's a whole ass thing, as it they is. say. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, Sarah, can you talk a little bit about some of some of the ways that that's come up as a as a whole ass thing? As a whole ass thing. Well, I think the first the first way uh, was early on. I was like, well, obviously, this has nothing to do with the kids. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, I'm just gonna go out with some friends, and whether or not there are quotes around that word doesn't matter to my little kids. I'm gonna, you know, go have a little bit of fun and. Um, that's my business and it's a way to unwind from long weeks of parenting. And that's that, uh, it was pretty quickly revealed to me that first of all, and I think this will be a theme of the episode, kids always know more than you want them to. Mm -hmm. They're always more aware of things going on than 
than you think. Um, and so <laughs> pretty early on, I noticed that our oldest child mm -hmm. would reference me going out to like his teachers or to other parents. Like, oh yeah, mommy's going out tonight. She's going out with her friend to dinner. She might have an overnight. And I was like, ooh. Uh, so really quickly, I, I realized like, yeah, the kids are noticing. Um, they're talking about it. And this is not going to be a, just, a, just a private little thing that I'm doing that they don't need to know anything about. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think because it was a big deal for us, you know, it makes sense that they were aware of that. And I always kind of, especially initially, thought about it like, oh, you know, I could be, you know, I've been like a musician for a long time, so I would like go to band practice. Like this, we kind of started dating during the pandemic, and I wasn't doing a bunch of the stuff that I had been doing before. Uh, so I felt like, oh, I have plausible deniability. Like I could be going and doing anything else. And in terms of the ways the kids are impacted or like that they would notice, you know, I could be going to hang out with my male friends or like doing music or, you know, doing some sports thing or whatever, going to a work event. Um, all of that stuff's not happening. So the fact that I'm like spending some of that time going out on dates will be like sort of invisible to them. Uh, I love how you're just like, coming across as like the most manly American dad. You're like, I could be going to a sports thing. I could be shredding my guitar. Could, go, <laughs> could be going out with my bros for brewskis. Could, could be, be doing any of those things. Could be chopping wood on the back 40. <laughs> could be uh, sailing across the Atlantic solo. Yeah, you know, Whatever. any, any yeah. of those kinds of things. Yeah. Summiting uh, mountains. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, sorry. Uh, those are the, some of those are actually things that I do, okay. <laughs> and that's okay. Do. Yes. Um uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, how did it, it became apparent that the kids were noticing, I guess, because they would, they would say things like that, uh, like, you know, mention to the teachers or like, uh, make observations about our partners who, you know, they were either aware of because of, you know, us talking about them, um, to each other or like moms going. And like, I think we kind of tried to, we tried, we didn't really I think we tried to avoid lying to them yeah. outright. Like, yeah. I don't think we ever really told any lies or maybe no. like a time or two, um, but more like... We'd be like mom or dad, is, we're going out with friends. With a friend, yeah. Mom. More like half-truths mm. than lies. Mm -hmm. um, and you know what? As a parent, you tell your kids a lot of half-truths <laughs> and lies sometimes. Anyway, so might not be good practice, but clearly, like, you know, you're not filling your kids out on in on every single thing that you're doing, whether it's, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess it's been, we've made pretty clear that this podcast is not for people who are like trying to be perfect. So I can probably just come right out and say like, not some, a perfect parent. Sometimes <laughs> I would like go outside to smoke a cigarette and I'm not going to be like, kids, I'm just going to go have a smoke. Right. I'll be like, I'm going to be outside for a second. Mm -hmm. um, whatever you do, don't come out. Uh, no. Well, and I mean, like, as a tangent about what does it mean to be honest with your kids as a parent, and this will come up, is, like, being honest in a developmentally appropriate way, I think, is often the challenge. It's not like my kids are going to ask me about, like, um, which they sometimes do, things like environmental issues or, like, you know, our youngest is really into watching YouTube videos about animals that are on the verge of extinction. <laughs> 
And it's not like when she comes and asks us about that and like, can we save the animals? I'm like, not much hope of that. No, we're in full climate <laughs> collapse here. Like this, this is a done deal, kid. I'm gonna you know? keep it real with you, yeah. four year old. I don't want you to be lied to the way I was. Exactly. This planet's it's toast. <laughs> it's toast. Enjoy your childhood. Hooray. Yeah. Which sorry about your life, kid. As an aside, I do feel like that was my experience of childhood, like just constant anxiety about the imminent collapse of the planet, which yeah. I, I was ahead of my time in some ways. What is the developmentally appropriate level of anxiety around climate collapse? I, I don't know. We'll save that for another I think you're, try, you're trying to change the subject. I'm definitely Sarah. trying to change the subject. Yeah. And like, see parents who aren't non-monogamous? It's hard out here. You yeah. don't know how to talk to your kids about hard stuff. It's not just us. Right. This is, I'm playing a long game of uh, defensiveness here. Oh, yeah. I see that. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's like really good, good strategy. Um, Thanks. Yeah, I think one of the but one of the biggest things around that that early um, exploration of non monogamy and like kids' awareness of it is just like navigating how much do you hide and like how do you kind of deal with the shame that you might feel about it um, and just not being sure like is this something you know something like smoking that I sh- definitely shouldn't tell my kid about um, that I should make sure that they're shielded from or how should I be honest in a de- developmentally appropriate way. Um, and I think it's, it's you know, we should spend a little bit of time talking about like what are some of those actual uh, challenges and mm-hmm. fears mm-hmm. Uh, related to it because there are some like really serious, like legitimately sort of scary ones. I had like kind of a freaked out moment uh, a couple of weeks ago um, when I was on, on the Reddits. I go on the Reddits because I'm that kind of person. Is that even a young cool person thing to do anymore? Probably not. No, I feel um, like that just fits in with all the masculine yeah. dad activities right. that we were listing earlier. <laughs> like summiting mountains, chopping wood, going, going on the Reddit. Rage <laughs> posting on Reddit. Yes. Uh, you know what? Reddit is actually, I'm going to defend Reddit for a second um, because it does have great like communities. Like it has really good internet, supportive internet communities for the most part um, about certain different things. So there's a lot of great ones about um, non-monogamy and polyamory. Um, and there was one person on there who was telling this story about uh, you know, it was like a, I think an older person uh, who was him and his wife were swingers and they had an adult son and their adult son had kind of like shown up at their house like at the tail end of one of their uh, like swinging parties or whatever and didn't like wasn't like privy to any like you know they didn't walk in on their parents having sex with other people or whatever but just like knew what was going on and was like really upset and was just like oh i sorry did I interrupt your orgy and then like bounced and then they like talked about it later and uh the son was just like, you know, I felt like growing up, you just never were there for me because you were always mm-hmm. just like in your swinging lifestyle. Yeah. And like, just, you know, they were kind of telling this, they had this narrative of like being, having been neglected and that kind of being the reason. And that was like really upsetting to me. And then also the responses, um, you know, encounter to my previous statement about it being a nice supportive community. Like people were cold-blooded in like ripping the the poster to, to shreds and kind yeah. of being like you should uh you know you clearly were doing that you've clearly like harmed your child with your lifestyle and um that was like really hard for me to hear I also like really kind of disagreed with it like I just felt like uh because my parents weren't swingers right <laughs> and not that we know of not that we know of but I could still definitely relate to the feelings of that kid and I was like oh this kid or this now, you know, young adult person who's upset about this, like they have very common feelings that 
a child would have about their parents. Like they didn't do X, Y, Z for me. Um, they know, weren't present. They weren't they, present. They right. felt more lost in their own lives than like attuned to mine. Yeah, exactly. And they had sort of deflected all of that stuff to, or directed all of that stuff to their parents, like swinging lifestyle. And like, that was the reason, but I was like, I don't think that's actually the reason like, you know, your parents could have been doing whatever during that time. Um, yeah. I think jumping in here with yeah, a little please. bit of therapeutic perspective, that is, it's a common experience for children, um, adult children, to reflect on their childhoods and say, it felt like my parents weren't attuned to what was going on with me. They weren't present to my life. It felt like everything else was always a priority over me. I mean, this is definitely like in the kind of like top five themes that may show up when people reflect on their childhoods. This is one of them. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily connected to uh, being non-monogamous, it you know it's sometimes connected to work or to divorce or to mental health distress or to drinking or to you know it can be yeah, any number of yeah. things. So it's kind of interesting to to recognize that um, that right. the that this like Reddit posters experience is very real and very relatable, yeah. and then to parse out a little bit, does it deserve to be immediately attached to the like the sexual practices of his parents. Yeah. And then some of the responses were really like the, the tone of them. I mean, a lot of them were like nicely supportive and, but also saying like, Oh, you should like try family therapy and like, uh, you know, don't try to, you know, tr try your best to not be defensive um, and like really listen to your child's feelings with which I thought was great advice. But then there were some people who were sort of like had this draconian, like, well, your kid should always come first kind yeah. of perspective, which I mean, in theory is true, but like, what does that mean? And like, what are the, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential for sort of like martyrdom and unhappiness. Like in self parenting. negation in that. Yeah. And that doesn't probably help your children in the long term either. Right. So I appreciate this story. I feel like it's going to help us hit on what are the kind of like key fears that people are speaking to when you say, you know, Sarah and I are non-monogamous and they say, but what about the children? Right. And I think one of them really is this, like that you're not going to be present to your family, that you won't be present to your kids, that you're going to be distracted by all sorts of other people, other relationships. Right. Um, there'll be all of these other draws on your time. And then I think definitely the sex piece, you know, this uh -huh. like, will your kids be exposed to sex? I mean, this like shows up in that story, even though he was an adult, this idea that your kid would, walk in on some sort of like sexual encounter or behavior that would then like force them to kind of like confront their parents sexuality in a way that was unhealthy. Um, I think like a sub thread of that, that people are often worried about is just like, how do you talk to your kids about it? And how do you talk to your kids about the sex piece uh, as well? What else do you think people are, what other fears are unearthed there? Um, yeah, I mean, I think one part of what's coming up in that conversation is like just a general sense of like immorality, kind of like being in a, an environment of uh, immorality, and then like the the end. I think an extension of the um, not being present is uh, you know the sort of disillusion of your family in general, and like I think it probably is true that like uh, non monogamous people are more likely like to be to get divorced. Um, I don't think caused by the non-monogamy necessarily, but sort of like, uh, you know, it being a pathway to that potentially. Um, Just out of curiosity, what makes you say that or what makes you think that? 
Um, that comes up a lot. That, I would say it's really common for people to say, you know, this often ends in divorce. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, probably a subset of people who try non-monogamy who are trying to either fix a relationship or, um, you know, or, or one or the other party is like kind of using it as a way to take one step out the door, whether they know it or not. Um, but God, like the whole conversation is just so sort of couched in these norms, um, about, uh, about the way that we expect sort of nuclear families to be, um, and like being more free uh, and more honest with like what you want or being more aware of like what it might be like to have other relationships. Um, you know, all of that is potentially going to like open you up to um, changing the nature of the relationship from its starting point. Right. It's dynamic at its core. And so yeah. like that dynamism maybe exposes you and your family in some right. way. And I, I was remembering also that you and I were talking about this concept of jealousy and like jealousy bringing potential mm. conflict into a family or like just being a hard thing to navigate with and around children too. So just kind of throwing that out there. I'm, I'm kind of like tossing everything out to like air out what's going on here when people are worried about kids. Yeah. And certainly like there is that piece of like, you're just going to have le- more, um, probably more conflict. I don't know if this would be true across Mm. the board, but like Mm. probably there's more open processing and discussion of, uh, of a relationship, um, a non-monogamous relationship than a monogamous one. Um, and that maybe feels unsafe or destabilizing. Right. Right. Or at least it's a thing to be aware of, um, that it's there. And then, yeah, certainly like there's, there's definitely more potential for there to be, jealousy um and that's in theory going to impact the kids yeah so like kind of pointing us into some really great clips that i know that you have that speak to these points it seems like where we're landing is the main concerns are the possible like dissolution of the nuclear family right Mm -hmm. or just like a threat to its existence and that being bad for children Mm mm-hmm more conflict between parents that children would then be exposed to, and that would be bad for them. And possible exposure to sex, immoral sex, and then also maybe just like exposure to their parents' sexuality. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe a spinoff from that one is also like exposure to other people who, you know, I think that's what I, what I was getting at with the idea of immorality. Like, if you imagine from a very like normie, monogamous like american judeo-christian perspective like what are the people engaged in non-monogamy gonna be like the the idea that might be conjured is like somebody who would be a bad influence on Mm -hmm. children which like i don't think is true like zero percent like negative percent is that actually true in my experience but it might be a thing that kind of comes to people's mind and i want to throw this in here because i think there's some gender some important like gender analysis here too and i think we'll get back to it after the clips is also I think it makes people really uncomfortable to think of parents as having full, complex lives outside of their families or outside of parenting, especially when they have young children. And I think people really don't like it when mothers do that. Um, And you and I talk a fair amount about the different kind of feedback I get from people than you do around some of this stuff. So I think that's just like worth kind of like throwing out into the field. Yeah, for sure. And that comes back to the like parent as martyr kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And I guess the, the gendered flip side of that is like, it's more sort of, uh, culturally acceptable, I guess, for like 
men to have relationships outside of their nuclear family, but it's also like really, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of like cultural judgment around that as well. And a lot of like stories that, that really um, put on display how damaging that is to people, and, to the children specifically. And even this idea though, that men would have uh, important activities outside the family, I think is more acceptable right. for men to be more into work, right? Than uh-huh. women are in a family or to, you know, like to have, there's like a little bit more of an acceptability around that idea, maybe. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, so should we hear some of these clips? Yeah. Let's see. Oh, yeah. So the first one uh, is from uh, the show Freaks and Geeks, um, which is like... Showing our age. Well, yeah. <laughs> that was such a good it's show. Not, yeah, it is. And it's not about... I guess it must have been for people who are a little bit older than us, kind of targeting us about their childhoods in the... I think it's said in like 1980 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like very Gen X. Yeah. Very so Gen the X. setup for this clip is like one of the main characters uh, thinks that his, oh, that's two two younger friends and one of them has caught the other's dad with uh, another woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dad happens to be this kid's dentist also. So he's like in the dentist chair with the dad. Like the next time they see each other after he runs into him and some strange woman at the grocery store, I think. Right. The most like classic suburban milieu you could possibly imagine, right? Like, white suburban milieu. Here we go. Into it. Okay, I'm going to roll the clip. Tongue, please. No, back. Back. Hey, tongue. Do you know what? I think that you and me need to talk. What about? Well, starters, you're acting a little differently when I saw you yesterday. Open, please. And uh, I tell you, I was a little bit hurt. Uh, I, I just didn't feel well. Well, you know what I think? I think that you may have thought you saw something that you didn't see the other night. I didn't see anything. Spit. And, uh, and you didn't say anything to Neil or to anybody else about uh, meeting my friend, hmm? No. Good. So people love nothing more than gossiping about... about seeing someone spending time with another woman who isn't their wife. Mm. Well, you can rest assured that nothing happened between me and my friend. You do believe me, don't you? I only hear. Hmm. You know, when I was younger, I didn't have many dates. I met Mrs. Schweiber back in college, and, you know, she's a wonderful woman, and she keeps a beautiful home. It's just that when you get older, you get bored, you know? No, not it, really. It just, it gets so hard, Sam. You know, I feel that there's something missing in my life, and I, and I think I deserve the chance to find out what that something is. Don't you? I, I don't know. Promise you things will be back to normal pretty soon. Oh, oh. God. Oh, whoa. <laughs> that one so hit. Great. I that was like, so make intense, it stop. Dude. Oh. Um, I like, ugh. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there should be a trigger warning before that clip rolls where it's like, I, I was just like right back as a young, like preteen with adults talking to me, uh, like totally inappropriately about adult subject matter. And I'm like, oh. 
Yeah. My tummy hurts. Well, like in the dentist chair too, yeah. like with your dentist, who's also your friend's Ooh. dad. Um, yeah, so intense. There was like a lot there too. I kind of forgotten about the second half of that. The first half was just like raw intimidation <laughs> of just like that this didn't happen. You didn't see what you thought you saw and just like so much gaslighting gaslighting and like kind of like shame and then the second half is like a bunch of sort of self-justification which um yeah i don't know what to make of that exactly because uh i guess that's real i don't know but well i know i'm like but like I'm, very inappropriate yeah i'm, I'm trying to emotionally <laughs> recover from that clip uh, sort of centering back around the themes that we introduced that clip with, which is like the fear that children will be exposed to conflict, sexual immorality, um, and like the sexuality of their parents, right? Um, and possible like divorce being the four reasons why people are like, what about the children when you say you're non-monogamous? I think what I'm appreciating about that clip right now is it's reminding me that all of those themes are present inside families generally, right? Mm -hmm. Like these, these right. are things that like um, come up and especially around issues of infidelity, right? They come up, but they come up regardless. Uh, yeah. And we struggle as a culture to talk about them. Right. And all of the toxic parts of that clip are like the, um, the kind of like trying to like hide those things. Right. Um, and uh, and the involvement of the children in it in general, right? And right. the situation is sort of set up by the fact that he's trying to obscure from his son that he's non non consensually non unethically non monogamous. Cheating. Yeah, he's cheating. Um, but the cheating part is like what is kind of setting off all of the the tension there, right? Yeah, that he doesn't want his son to know, and so he's like intimidating his his son's friend and like involving a child in this adult world. Um, you know, in a in a very like threatening way, and then in a, like a very sort of inappropriate, confusing, like, developmentally inappropriate yeah, way, and like sort of pitting him against his son, and then like asking mm -hmm. him to be uh, his his like accomplice in the kind of like uh, the feelings of you know being unsatisfied with his like middle class modern marriage and life, and yikes! Doesn't he deserve to? find out that isn't yeah. that what he says at the end the kid's like i don't know yeah so and and so like taking a step back to the, the sort of meta level of like why you know that's a very compelling story to tell and it's like super relatable and i feel like the, the sort of genius of that show in general is that it like dives really deep into into the, like the themes and like actual experiences that people have it's like a really it's like a really real show that i think there's a lot of great sort of like Gen X oriented shows. And it's like, it's, it is a critique of the nuclear family, right? You can see yeah. how the show and I'm remembering it now. And actually it's interesting because a lot of our um, media is both like a critique of the nuclear family and then a kind of inevitable conclusion that, well, it's the best we've got. I kind of feel like this comes yeah. up a lot that, and a lot of the clips that we have discussed for this show it's that kind of thing. yeah and it does better with having the series in general does better with having a smart critique of the nuclear family but it's also like doing some regulation in telling that story in the first place to kind of say like if anybody goes outside of their nuclear family like the the counterpoint is the kid uh sam who's being talked to in that clip uh his family like his parents have like a happy marriage but where his dad is sort of like 
like kind of angry and emasculated in this way. And there's a lot um, of emotional distance and there's yeah. a lot of like, nobody talks about things really. Right. Or when they do, it's like, you know, deadly awkward. Yeah. And the whole story as a parable is kind of, you know, telling you, uh, be safe, keep it inside of your family, you know? And right. it's like, and even if there's like a lot of emotional distance or sort of unrealized or unfulfilled yearning, that's better. Yeah. And I right? think that's what I was struggling with a second ago is like that, that all of the things that the dad is saying at the end, the, the setting and the audience is like super inappropriate, but he's like giving voice to these like very real things that a lot of right. people would have experienced. And then it's like couched inside of this massive taboo that kind of like as a viewer tells you, like, I'm sure when I watched that before, I was like anything about this that is like at all relatable to me and being told by the storytelling, like this is you better gross. not have those feelings. This is, this this is, is gross. This is bad. This is harmful. And this is hurting a child. Yeah. Yeah. So that gets me back to the idea of mistakes mm-hmm. right? or like, what were the mistakes that we made or I made? And I think listening to that clip and us talking about it now, it's not just how I introduced this at the top of the podcast where I'm like, well, I kind of assumed the kids wouldn't, I assume the kids wouldn't notice. And then when it was clear that they did, I was like, okay, we're going to have to talk about this. And then I kind of conveniently did not tell you all how we talked about it. Um, But really the mistake I made was I tried to stop the kids from talking about it. Like Mm. that was my first reaction. Uh, I remember really clearly taking our oldest to daycare or something before I was going to go on a date. And it was a, it was a summer camp. And the counselor had the same name as the person I was going on the date with. And so our oldest was like, oh, that's your name? That's the name of my mommy's special friend. They're going out tonight for blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I literally like tried to stop him from talking. I remember like squeezing his shoulders like, that's great. Thanks so much. Okay. Anyway, what time is pickup? You know, like really definitely sending him the signals that it wasn't okay to talk about this. Right. And that this was like a taboo thing. And like, even if in the moment it wasn't, it wasn't as clear as in that clip that he had like picked Mm. up some kind of shame. I definitely was communicating that to him. Um, So yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you like, was it okay for him to be talking about it? How do you think about that now? Well, now I have a podcast about it and also I'm writing articles and a book about it. So yeah, but I was not, it, it was, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to feel confident to not project that like shame and taboo on your kids who are inevitably going to be aware that their family is different, even if this is kind of like a trend where we we already know that they're friends with kids whose families are non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't even find those families because of the non-monogamy. It's just because there's more of us out there. Um, right. But we know they'll be aware of being different and probably they will go through a period of being embarrassed by that and not liking it. Um, or they'll find something about us yeah. to feel that way about. Uh, so I don't have any illusions about being able to talk to them or be open about this to avoid that. But I don't, I don't want them to ever feel ashamed or like they're not allowed to notice or yeah. talk about what our family looks like. You know, that just, just doesn't seem fair. And like, if I'm not, if I'm not able to talk to them in that way and kind of stand up for us publicly and be confident and authentic in myself, then I think I do need to ask myself questions about um, 
Mm. The shame that you might feel about it or. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. like whether or not it, it has the chance to hurt my kids. Yeah. And that wasn't meant to be a trick question. I was trying to just kind of figure out like, what is the, the better way to have approached that? Um, or like, how would you do, how would you kind of reapproach it now? And like my. We had an I example would, of that. I mean, not to talk over you, but at our kid's birthday party here recently, mm, mm-hmm. someone mentioned this podcast and right. they were like, oh, what's your podcast about? And I was like, here we go. Because it was, you know, a bunch of parents from the kids' schools and a bunch yeah. of kids. And I was like, Alex and I have an open relationship and it's a podcast about that. Uh-huh. And I just like, it was the first time that I felt like I was just really open. I was authentic. I felt like confident in it. I let kids and adults hear that and respond to it however they might. Yeah. So. And I think that's totally okay. Like, uh, I, it's hard to, it's hard to see how that, that is really harmful to anybody. And like the flip side of, you know, trying to, trying to hide it, you can see so many examples of how, how it would potentially be harmful. So that's been like kind of my approach as well recently, or I'd like to think that like, just sort of being like, this is okay. It's going to be okay. And I can be relatively, um, try to be transparent about those things. So in that situation with the drop off, like probably how you would approach it now would just be like, uh, that's right. Yep. That's right. Bye. Sure am. <laughs> you know, like, and what does it really matter? And whatever that camp counselor is like thinking, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, I mean, there are probably some Gen Z person who's like, yeah, duh, non-monogamy. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of, I think I do, I, as I think about our children getting older and being more aware of things um, around sex and, and um, how our family is different, potentially. Like, I'm also kind of crossing my fingers that this will all be a little bit more normalized and a little bit more mainstream, thanks to our impactful podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, um, yeah, anyway, that's pro- <laughs> probably a good segue into the next clip. But you look like you want to say something. Yeah. So setting up the next clip, I think, is perfect because I think now we're going to get into the sex. The sex stuff. Well, there's the, yeah, the sex stuff. And also there's the, like, when we were talking about kids and non-monogamy and, like, you know, cultural representations of that, the first thing that came to mind was this movie, The Ice Storm, that uh, Freaks and Geeks is, like, a 2000s representation of the 80s. Ice Storm is like a 90s representation of the 70s. Um, and there's like famously uh, a key party. Like there's mm-hmm. a bunch of a, a couple of families. I think they're in Connecticut and um, there's infidelity going on. And then infidelity abounds. It abounds. And then uh, and like sort of uh, general unhappiness with um, upper middle class white nuclear family existence. Um, and yeah, I think there are no. Collectors of, of character in the entire movie, which was a thing. No, that and I was in like thinking about that with freaks and geeks too. Like these are really, yeah. really white settings, and mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot to talk about there. Um, and maybe we'll get into it afterward. But the also the idea of the nuclear family and of morality and sexual morality all being wrapped up in class and heteronormativity and whiteness and capitalism too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's go to the clip. Um, let's see. Do, oh, this, this is the kids in this family talking about their parents. Um, so there are teenage kids. Uh, one is 16 and going to some kind of boarding school, and the other one is like 13 and experiencing uh, their sexuality. And just so it doesn't bother you, they're played by Toby Maguire and Christina Ricci. I hate it when I don't know who the people are talking about. And I was like, whose voice is that? So picture, picture this. 
How are the parental units functioning these days? Dad's doing his up with people routine. Mom really hasn't been saying much. I don't know. Dad seems a little weird, you know? Nervous? Can't wait till Mom finally opens her mouth. Do you think they're headed for, like, the dustbin of history? Divorce court? Well, they dropped out of their couples group therapy thing. Is that good or bad? May I operate the telephonic apparatus? Might use the one downstairs. Oh, I'm calling an individual, Charles, in New York, confirming a social outing for Friday night. Can I come? What's a one-on-one kind of date thing? With who? So, yeah, uh, kids discussing their parents. Um, it's definitely, uh, there's like a depiction of non-monogamy. That was probably like my first uh, watching that movie was, you know, as a late teenager, or early 20s, like my first like awareness of kind of like swinging in non-monogamy in sort of popular culture. We were debating whether that's an art film or like a mainstream, but it's like a pretty mainstream movie. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like the the key party, which if, if you don't know what a key party is, um, it is where, sorry, you better describe it because you've been to a key party and I, I, I haven't. One a week. <laughs> yeah, a standing date for a key party. I've never been to a key party. Uh, I, everything I know about key parties begins and ends with the ice storm. Okay. So what the movie shows us is that people go to a party and the men, right? Mm-hmm. The husbands. Married couples go married to a party. Married couples mm-hmm. go to a party and the husbands put their car keys uh, into a bowl, and then at the end of the night, the wives pull out a set of car keys and go home with a different man. Whoever's keys Whoever's they got. Whoever's keys they got, yeah. And they go home to the man's house in his car, and then whatever. I guess happens, so. Happens, and then but. there's like, you know, some sort of awkward exchange again of wives in the morning. Right. I, I found myself overly distracted by that logistical detail. <laughs> uh-huh. What happens after? That's very me. Yeah. But the assumption <laughs> is that, I mean, it's. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because on the surface, I want to be like, oh, that's kind of hot. And On then the you surface, s- I want to be like, oh, God, that's the most terrifying yeah. thing I could possibly imagine. Then you start thinking about the logistics <laughs> of it and perhaps also the like whatever, you know, forced sex there is going on. And right. it's like, yikes. Um, Not to mention, again, all of the like heteronormativity and all of the just like it's like there's no. Like, the consent is weird. The whole thing is just... Yeah. And at the end of the party, everybody... Like, half the people are blackout drunk, you know? Yes. Yeah. I do want to pause to say I don't want to... I don't, I'm afraid of us sounding like we're, like, kind of trashing swingers or, like, that lifestyle. It's not one that we really know very much about. Good and, point. like, I think we're probably, like, bringing some of our own internalized shame about it based on, like, culture like this. Um, and 100%, so yes. we're, like... Uh, total dumb idiots when it comes to and the way it's depicted which is like it's depicted in these ways that are really irresponsible and like unboundaried and not thoughtful and you know just like kind of anything goes um and what i do know of like swinging and sex parties is that it's absolutely the opposite of that and in fact people are very thoughtful in the way they put yeah those kinds of events together but i don't know a ton about it but the point being the depiction in this situation which clearly colored our understanding of it um for the worse is that there are really unhappy marriages uh with a lot of like 
cheating and infidelity. And then like, that's sort of the entry point for why somebody would want to go to a key party in the first place mm-hmm. is that they're like super unhappy in their marriage and they're looking for a way out or a, a pressure release or something like that. And then in the clip that we listen to, it's like just the kids processing their parents' extremely unhappy marriage. And like, what does that kind of look like? How do they like relate to each other inside of that? Yeah. So recentering all of this back to like the themes of how parent sexuality and non-monogamy specifically can impact kids. Um, There's plenty of clips in both that movie and freaks and geeks of parents trying and failing also to talk to their children about sex um, and of, children being really confused by the messages they do or don't get about their parents' sexuality. So I'm I'm kind of compelled to come back to that point and just like talk a little bit about how do you talk about sex with your kids if you're non-monogamous and that kind of like very heteronormative, amato-normative, which is a new word that I've learned that talks about like the romantic unit in a nuclear family as the most prioritized relationship in society. That's mm-hmm. What that word means? A motto normative. A motto normative. Yeah. Do you know what it comes from? Like, um, amo must be like love, love related. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not totally mm. sure of the roots of that. Um, but how you know? How do you talk to your kids about sex and romantic or sexually intimate relationships that aren't when a mommy and a daddy really love each other and decide they want to make a baby, which is kind of the standard first right. talk. So how does that fold into non-monogamy? How important is it to talk about that when we talk about the children? Right. And I think maybe that relates to one of the things that's really confusing is uh, that the acceptable conversation about sex with kids is about reproduction, right? right. Even though top secret, cover your ears, kids, 99.9% of sex that people are having is not purposefully about reproduction, right? And um, obviously completely negates queer sex, right? Yeah. There's just like no representation of queer sex in that paradigm. Right. Of talking so about how sex. do you talk to kids about non-reproductive sex and about relationships? And like to be completely transparent, this is not something that we've really done yet with our kids. We're kind of starting to, but... We don't have it all figured out. We've started having conversations about how to have those conversations. Um, and I think we kind of kind of thought about that in two, there's kind of two separate conversations, maybe like the conversation about sex and reproduction. And, and like, bodies. And right? bodies. Mm-hmm. And then the conversation about like relationships, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think we've made some forays. I, I think that's been the direction we're headed in. And this is where I'm really interested to hear from listeners and other folks who are thinking about this stuff and, and likely thinking about it and know more about it and have resources and ideas. Um, But the idea that you talk about sex and bodies and reproduction and sex as a part of reproduction and sex also separate from reproduction. And the idea that sex is something that can be experienced between people of any and all genders. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also talking about romantic relationships and uh, and sexual relationships, you know, like kind of finding a way to explore those things so that we build some vocabulary and then can kind of like bring them together in a developmentally appropriate way. Yeah, that's my current and, angle. Well, and what's so <laughs> tricky about that is that the kids like sort of 
at play and emulating culture that they see or emulating like people's behavior that they see are really intertwining those things. And like, there's this sort of taboo, uh, probably an appropriate one. I'm not sure. Um, uh, an appropriate one, uh, about, you know, not talking too deeply about sex or not like sexualizing kids, but then they're always, uh, you know, at play around like romance and, coupling and you know the formation of relationships and what does that actually look like um and we had a kind of funny situation with um our daughter and our goddaughter at their daycare one morning uh what was what happened she wanted to wear a like really like sort of impractical glamorous dress to preschool Mm -hmm. and then uh what, there was some reason that she couldn't, right? It was dirty or something like That's that. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't let her. You didn't let her. Right. Um, and then she was really upset about it, and we couldn't really understand why. And then, you know, we later sort of found out uh, on the way to school that it was because she was supposed to marry her friend. Uh, there were three of them all getting married. Ah, uh, there were three of them all getting married. Yeah. And two. she was a part of that. And so it was like a group marriage that was taking place at the daycare that day. <laughs> right. Oh, and so there wasn't jealousy between the three of them. I thought it was an example of like, she was really upset because she wasn't the one who no, was no, going to get no. to marry No, no, no. It was the like, they had a whole plan of what resource or what recess the three of them were all going to be at. And then they were going to have the ceremony. And our daughter was just upset because she wasn't wearing her nice dress for it. Wow. Because I'm a monster. That is brutal. Yeah, it was bad. So she just had to like were made. <laughs> go to her thruple marriage in sweatpants. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That's you know what that is a very common parenting mistake yes. that everyone was gonna relate to. No, I'm joking, but really not knowing uh, why you, what you, something is really important to your kids and just telling them no because you're making so many like negotiations all the time is like a very hard a hard thing to navigate all the time. So, it truly is. Um, and but so I think it's interesting here to recognize that while I see our kids and many kids like reproducing those like amato normative heteronormative like couplings, um, there is also like some flexibility there and you know this anecdote being an example of that that the three of them were going to get married at the same time um also uh here recently one of our kids we were talking about best friends and who are your best friends Mm -hmm. and then they asked me well you know what about daddy and what about you know they mentioned my one of my partners i was like you know they are also my friends but we have romantic feelings for each other too, right? And we talked a little bit about that. So there has been a more kind of explicit discussion of that Mm -hmm. um, starting to happen. And we've heard our son express about like his sort of best friend at school, like really like longing and like, you know, he's the most important thing to me. I love him and stuff like that in a way that like sort of like takes it outside of, you know, a school friend relationship or kind of like elevates it to like special friend status, which I think is so interesting too, like that there is meaning there. Right. Um, and you know, you could call it like new relationship (laughs) energy, or you could call it love, or you could call it romantic love, but like the, the boundaries between those things are, are especially at a kid's age. Before they've been really deeply indoctrinated with what are the sort of socially acceptable containers for having intense feelings for someone or having intimacy with someone. Right. The way that they express those things being more kind of creative. Yeah. And so, I mean, the 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 bottom line after all of that stuff is is to me that like 
it is okay for them to know about these things. Um, and like hiding them would be sort of silly and definitely like a lost cause as well. Um, it wouldn't work. And then I think it would also communicate shame. Um, right. Which, you know, those clips have anything in common. They're just like saturated in this kind of like fear and shame and the unknown and um, the sense that things are happening that you're not privy to. But yeah. That are important and pot- and potentially dangerous. And how does that impact those kids once they become adults? And I think in both those cases, the shows or the stories are written by you know, they're identifying with the children characters, like they're writing about a semi-autobiographically about their experiences as, as kids with their parents' sexuality, and then like, um, you know, reflecting on that um, and how harmful that was potentially as adults. Um, so that might be a good segue into talking about some of the sort of like therapeutic angles to this, which you mentioned a little bit before, but like, what are the things that sort of come up from your practice or from your training around like how kids could be uh impacted by experiences of non-monogamy or by, you know, the shame around their parents' sexuality. Yeah. As I was thinking about this, I mean, as someone who counsels folks on opening up on non-monogamous or non-traditional relationships and on adjustment to parenting, those are kind of two areas of uh, specialty that I have as well as LGBTQ communities. Um, I was like, this is really... (laughs) This is an intersection of a lot of those themes right here. Uh, to me, attachment is always a big one. We've talked about that in previous podcasts. The idea that for kids, uh, that really that like blueprint of safety and attachment is what is being built when they're young, right? This idea that they are safe, they are cared for, they are loved, they are accepted no matter what by, um, by their primary caregivers. That is very important, that has does not have to have anything to do with the organization of their caregivers' relationships. Right. Right? So But if their caregivers are like in a lot of conflict, that could impact attachment, right? I think that's true. I mean that's I want to be careful not to pathologize that too much. I mean, all relationships go through periods of conflict. And I think kids being exposed to that reality, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Again, I don't mm-hmm. think hiding conflict from children works, and I don't think it actually helps them feel safer. I mean, I'm sure many of us have the experience of our kids or of our parents just being like in icy silence with each other all mm. through dinner, and then we go to bed and they start fighting downstairs. Like they were just, mm-hmm. you know, waiting to do that. It's like there was nothing about that experience that felt safe, right? They no. weren't, they weren't hiding what was happening from us, and it just felt scarier. I think. So there is conflict in relationships. Relationships go through periods of more conflict and less conflict. There is nothing wrong with that. I think letting your kids see some of that, again, like at a kind of developmentally appropriate level, and also seeing you work through it and repair those things and talk about it, I think that aids secure attachment. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't think having conflict in between caregivers automatically makes kids feel unsafe. Um, And I I think that's an important distinction. Uh, And so, you know, whether, whatever your family might look like, all kids have primary caregivers. And and they need to know that those people are there for them, are attuned to them, are oriented towards them, are accepting of them, are keeping them safe, right? 
that that is like that's mm-hmm. the job of a caregiver. And for example, like you have a, a colleague who um, is a co-parent with somebody, another woman who is she's not romantically involved with and never has been, but like they cohabitate and they raise the children together. Um, and you know the children have secure attachment figures in both of those right. parents, even though the parents are not in a romantic relationship whatsoever. And I like talking about this in reference to the Amato normative nuclear family structure that our culture is so attached to, even though we know that it's um, that it can be restrictive and problematic for some people, and we know that because the culture reflects that. Those clips are a good example of the culture reflecting that, and because we know that somewhere roughly around half of marriages do end in divorce, right? Which, also, nothing wrong with that. But just, like, talking about how um, fixated our culture is on the nuclear family as the safest type of unit for children is interesting because Mm -hmm. we also have all of these messages that show us otherwise. And I like talking about attachment as, like, it's it's secure attachment to caregivers that makes children safe. It doesn't really matter that much yeah. who those caregivers are or what their relationship to each other is. Yeah. Well, and also you're making me think about how like we could be having this entirely same conversation about the impacts of divorce on children. And that it's not like getting divorced is necessarily the worst no. choice or is necessarily harmful to children. No. Um, it's really more like some of that judgment from that modern normative culture telling us that. And then also, you know, just the, the way that it happens. Right. And right. there are certainly, I mean, we're actually all three of us are children of parents who are still married. Um, and, that's no big deal, right? Like, wow, <laughs> yikes! Tell us what you really think, uh, Alex. No, I'm just saying, like, you know, there's a, uh, there's hard, there, like, you know, all of those issues are there in divorced families. They're there in families with right. couples. They're there uh, in conflict and repair, honesty and authenticity, yeah. transparency and secure attachment. Those are the things that you want to focus on if you're concerned about the well well being of children, right? right. Uh, and not to mention, you know, getting into other issues just around like uh, resource security and stuff like that. I mean, I always think that it's right. funny that people are like, we have to keep nu- nuclear families together for the children. And then it's like, but we don't want to provide any social services yeah. to ensure that children actually like have enough food or like. Right. And we made up nuclear families you know. in a time when, in theory, you could support one with one income and then the other person could be more caring for the children and we're the expectation is that that you still deliver exactly all of that same stuff but you there's actually no way to like afford to do that um it's all a bunch of fucking bullshit honestly right and so it is a bunch of bullshit i think people's concern for children is interesting and i don't want to immediately just like cast that into this light of you know cynicism we Um, should think of the children you're saying (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I think talking about like, all right, yeah, let's care about kids feeling safe and cared for in this world. What do we actually mean? What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. How much does that have to do with who their parents are having sex with? Right. Um, right. Yeah. Very, very little, I think, is what you're saying. I think that's right. what I'm saying. So what are some of the like upsides of, of that potentially? Like there are benefits probably for kids or potential benefits for kids and their parents um, stepping outside of that, uh, you know, nuclear family two-person romantic relationship, right? Yeah, so this gets into more some of the stuff around adjustment to parenting that I often work with clients on. And that's the idea that everything in this culture might tell you that to be a good parent, you have to be 110% oriented back to your family all the time. And that anything that you do outside of that family is inherently selfish and like 
proof that you're not a good parent. Mm -hmm. And I work really hard to dismantle that. That to me, secure attachment figures, caregivers, parents as like models for their children are people who absolutely must have full lives or have, you know, the opportunity to explore other parts of themselves to feel like they can like authentically inhabit their lives and have joy and have breaks from the experience of parenting. That makes you a better parent. I think that makes you a better partner too. I'm sorry, but you sound so fucking selfish right now. <laughs> I can't believe that you're here doing this podcast just for funsies when your kids are at school and you could be homeschooling them. You could be homeschooling them. Could be right oh now. my God, world. You do not want us to be homeschooling our children. They I, need some I think, outside I influence. I think the world agrees. <laughs> <laughs> I think the world's in agreement with yeah. that. Um, so what about uh, in, in terms of like, like you're, so you're talking about the adjustment of uh, or the, the just like sort of general like wholeness and happiness of the parents positively impacting the children. What about like the kids interacting with their parents, other partners? Like that's kind of a, an interesting taboo maybe that we haven't really talked about. Um, we have like done some of that um, and have started to do more of it. Um, and I know a lot of non-monogamous people, I think some non-monogamous people are just like, hard no, mm -hmm. especially early on, um, and others are much more open. Like, I guess we could talk about that from the personal perspective, but also from the sort of therapeutic perspective. How does that play in? Yeah, I, this is where we get into, like, I'm, I'm riffing a little bit, like, sociopolitically as well. Uh -huh. This idea of, like, if we're talking about the nuclear family, possible alternatives to the nuclear family, and I want to be clear when I'm talking about, like, alternatives to the nuclear family, it's not me saying it's bad. Mm -hmm. It's just saying that we can do and must have other models too, right? right? It's, it's just not the assumption that that's the best one. It's just one of the ways. And human beings have organized themselves as families in so many different ways throughout so many different cultures and throughout time, right? Right. But um, the good way won. The good through. way. The nuclear family. <laughs> through the, imperialism. The one where everybody's white. Everybody's a dad's a dentist. Everybody's having an affair. Everybody's miserable. That's the one that won. Um, so anyway, uh, w what I was going to say is I do think that when we talk about like challenging the nuclear family, you want to talk about this idea of the benefit of children having exposure to lots of different adults, right? Um, and having relationships with other adults and learning from other adults and having other models of adulthood other than their parents, which I, I do think is a really positive thing mm -hmm. for kids. And I think you can bring that into kids' lives in a lot of different ways. And obviously people do in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be through non-monogamy, but I do think that it can be and is a really, um, a really potentially positive thing for kids. Right. It, and when done in a way that feels, you know, boundaried and developmentally appropriate and, all, all of the above. And like now you're really kind of talking about community, right? And like mm -hmm. that is something that a lot of people um, build through non-monogamy, whether intentionally or not, um, or kind of find through non-monogamy. I think like for us, not really so much, but it, it is kind of part of what we've talked about. And I think we'll dig deeper in, in a later episode yeah. about uh, the sort of like non-sexual, <laughs> non-monogamy yeah. um, that you know, is just about like letting people, having more people involved in your core family, yeah. your core 
community. Having intimate right? relationships with people outside of your nuclear family. Yeah. And I, I want to get into, this is a little bit of a tangent, but it feels important to me because as we talk about this as a trend and a trend coming out of the pandemic, there has been some evidence that non-monogamy, people opening up their relationships, especially previously monogamous relationships, is a bit of a trend coming out of the pandemic. I feel like this relates because I think people have had the experience not only of seeing a lot of just kind of like assumed systems fail to keep us safe in the ways that they'd promised, right? But also this idea that like the nuclear family can be very small, right? When it is isolated, it can be very Mm -hmm. small and being cut off from other relationships, other intimate relationships, other potential partners in parenting or in in creative partnerships, that that can feel really difficult. And I think that was an experience a lot of people had during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And um, and before and since as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> wow. That's a lot. Yeah. So I want to do something. Uh, <laughs> I've, we've Now that the podcast has been like kind of some of the episodes we already recorded have aired, we've gotten some feedback from other people. Um, and uh, one of the pieces of feedback that we've gotten is uh, that um, we talk about how hard things are a lot. Um, okay. And I don't think we've been doing that as much this time. But I think that I tend to be a little bit more... Uh, either optimistic or kind of like overly like intellectual and don't really talk about like how this stuff feels for me. And you tend to be a little bit more, I don't know if I'd call I it. I just am over here weeping mostly. Yeah. <laughs> just sobbing <laughs> quietly to ourselves. Like, Why is it so hard to be a human? So we found an amazing <laughs> post-production so filter that takes out Sarah's weeping. So if you're not hearing it, that's why. But uh, <laughs> yeah, one of my friends was like, I really love the podcast, but like, you know, we're going to lose people or or what if people don't try it because you're just over there talking about how hard it's been for you. And oh, you're like, talking about somebody from the international non-monogamy cabal that we're in. Where <laughs> exactly. That was just who's like funding us to make this podcast over. to recruit people um, for our sex parties. <laughs> no, but I do think people, I mean, to, related to what I was saying before, like it is like, I don't think of this as an evangelical <laughs> podcast or that we're proselytizing people, but uh, a little bit like more acceptance or like understanding um, demystifying is probably a good thing. And um, just this idea of like adding to the possible models of what family looks like, what relationships look like um, is yeah. I think my, my kind of North star in a lot of this. Okay. Yeah. Well, you talk about some of the good stuff in okay. our new segment, Sarah's fun corner. <laughs> Yay, Sarah, Sarah, I can be fun. Sarah's happy land. Um, what are some of the great things about being uh, non-monogamous as a parent? I feel like there should be some like sound effect that's like wind chimes or something (laughs) so we can put that in in post. Uh, Okay. Yeah. No, I appreciate this. Uh, I definitely think that there's the opportunity to have more fun and enjoy our time together more. And I know that that like centers the like the primary couple here, but I just feel like that's honestly true for me that like you and I, when we go out on dates, the things that we choose to do together, the time that we spend together feels really special. It feels really intentional. It doesn't feel like, well, we just kind of ended up here together again and let's make the best of it. Well, you know what? Sometimes it feels that way. <laughs> here we that's are. Just, that's just life, okay? Sitting in silence at a restaurant, eating sad <laughs> salads together or whatever. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I, we, I, don't I, do that. We, we don't do that. We don't. We don't do that. Um, and that actually sounds kind of nice, but that's just because <laughs> like everyone because shut I'm the hungry. fuck up and eating my sense. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't I shouldn't judge those people, but uh I think also 
I think also the idea that you can have um, you can have more support, you can have more fun as a parent, and you know we'll talk about this more in future episodes. But for example, I went away on a writing retreat this weekend um, for three days and two nights, and for someone with young kids, it can feel stressful to. You know, especially if you have a co-parent that you live with, right? It can be stressful to do that on your own for three days straight. And I really was glad to know that one of your partners was going to come over and, you know, hang out and make cookies and watch a movie and, like, help you with the kids and give you some adult company at one point. And, like, I'm not going to say that that was always the case. I mean, two years ago, I think that would have sounded really scary Scary. and challenging for me. But two years in... I was able to enjoy my time away more knowing that Mm. you had that kind of company and you kind of had that to look forward to. And so I think that's an example of some of the joy that's available Mm. and the ways that it really has been beneficial and great um, and pretty liberating, even even in the hard. Uh, And I hope that I hope that that's something that our kids get some of, too. It's just the idea that we can have authentic, intimate relationships with other people, that we can be honest with ourselves and each other, that we can pursue things that are important to us, that we can continue to have like secure, attached, and safe relationships, and that they can count on us for that. Yeah, I'm proud of us for that. Yeah, me and too. Hopeful. I am, definitely. I mean, they're going to hate us when they're 13. Oh, God. For sure. I know. And if nothing else, it's worth saying, if nothing else, they're going to be like, you guys can do whatever you want to be. You had to make a damn podcast about it. And we'll be like, <laughs> sorry. I mean, probably like the whole internet will be wiped from the surface of the earth by then and no vestige of this podcast Fingers will ever crossed. exist. Let's hope. <laughs> okay, well, I think that wraps us up for today. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Mistakes Were Made. You can find us on Instagram now. We have a newly active Instagram channel. It's uh, MistakesCast uh, on Instagram.internet. Uh, M-I-S-T-A-K-E-S cast, um, C-A-S-T. Uh, and we'd love to hear um, there's an open channel there we'd love to hear about your experiences with non-monogamy we'd love to hear your questions um, if things come up in previous episodes that you're just like uh, I'm interested in hearing more about that. I don't know if you exactly got that right. You should be thinking about this other thing. We definitely want that um, input and feedback. And Yeah, jumping in on that specifically coming out of this episode, I think resources for non-monogamous parents. I'm really interested to hear what people know about that. Mm-hmm. I'd also love to hear from folks who were raised by people who are non-monogamous and hear some of those stories too. Yeah, I would. we would love to have somebody um, with that experience on the show. Um, and uh, we're looking for other guests as well. So reach out to us if you're doing work around this um, or uh, just want to share your experiences with us. Um, you can also email us at mistakescast at gmail.com. If you're into the whole email thing, uh, we'll be there. I'll check it. Uh, and please follow us on Spotify, like and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and um, give us the juice. So what do they say? Smash the like button. Oh yeah, in all of the weird like <laughs> kid podcasts that our kids talk to, they're like, smash that like button. They're like, kids, you need to tell mommy and daddy to follow this podcast <laughs> so I can keep bringing you awesome content, all right? Go tell them right now. Right now. Okay, we'll be back in a couple weeks, two weeks exactly, with more from Mistakes Were Made. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks.